Welcome to the State of Fem Art Podcast, a space where we drive conversations around what it means to be woman creatively and artistically in today's industry. A place where women from various walks of life share their experiences, triumphs, and obstacles as they navigate the state of the world and their creativity. This is a safe space. One where women are celebrated for being fearlessly and unapologetically them. It is a space of belonging for those who feel their artistic and creative endeavors have gone unseen, unheard, or unsupported. But here you will also get resources and tools to help you reach your next level. We'll laugh together, cry together, but more importantly, we'll grow together. I am Tamia Faulkner, and this is The State of Fem Art. Welcome to yet another episode of The State of Fem Art podcast. Today, I'm so excited to talk to Patrice Bowman. Patrice, how are you? Yes, I'm doing pretty well today, Tamia. What about yourself? I'm doing great. You know, it's it's always a great thing when you get to connect with other women who are just as creative, just as inspirational, and just really hearing about their artistic journeys and what their path has been like within the arts and entertainment industry. So it's always a good day to talk to another woman doing phenomenal things. Wow. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me how you got started in the film industry? I know uh, you have your own company, Bowman Pictures. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got your start in film? Sure. So in terms of how I got my start in film, I studied film studies at Yale University with a concentration in production. So at that university, I was making films and I was writing films and learning about how to create my own work at a very, you know, basic level. And then once I graduated at 2015, after that, that's when I took what I had learned from Yale University. I continued to build on top of that. So I was doing videos for our particular group on campus that I was a part of, which was kind of a part of our IT group. So we would sort of help with equipment checkout at the library, media equipment to be more specific. And so I was responsible for making videos that taught people about equipment checkout, the kind of equipment they could use. And then besides that, I was also working freelance jobs for different you know, YouTube channels and continuing to build myself as an editor and colorist. And then after that, you know, phase of me, you know, working and living in Connecticut, I eventually moved to New York City. Uh, my first job in New York City was working as a finishing assistant editor at Vice Media for the then weekly HBO show. Then after that, I worked as a dailies technician at Harper Picture Company. And all the while, I was continuing to do editing and color grading through my company, Bowman Pictures, and also making my own films as a writer and director. And I'm very happy to say that as of last year, specifically September 2021, I've been 100% uh, 100 freelance. So I've been pretty much able to just concentrate on reaching out to clients uh, on a freelance basis as opposed to just doing freelance and working full-time 
and of course, continuing to write and direct my own work. Congratulations. That is a big feat. I know there are so many women who are, you know, screenwriters, directors, filmmakers, and just creatives who are working their nine to five while still pounding the pavement for what they're passionate about. So what advice would you give to those who are navigating and and still navigating the nine to five while pursuing their uh, creative passions? Yeah. I mean, yes, as someone who had to balance doing a nine to five along with my creative work, I will say this, my nine to five was still in the entertainment business, but I was working for another company and I was balancing that with working for myself. So I was very fortunate even in that position to still be working in my industry. But for people who perhaps aren't working in their industry in their nine to five, and they're using that full-time job to support their more creative pursuits. One of my, well, there, there's a couple of pieces of advice, I, I suppose. I, I would say that with social media, it's a tool to promote your own work, but it's also a great tool to connect with other people who are in the same spot or they're looking for people to fill in like certain roles in a, in a job, for instance. And that's been pretty useful to connect with other people and try to sort of pers- to sort of help realize the the entertainment aspect of your life professionally a little bit more so that you don't feel like you're being stretched in two directions. I would also say that it's been very helpful to have a technical skill while working in the entertainment industry. Like I said, I I've done editing and I've done color grading. I have been moving more into color grading, which is an even more technical, more more specific niche within filmmaking. And I found that that has been extremely helpful in terms of being able to support my writing and directing. So if, for instance, if someone's an actor, maybe they they should consider developing some post-production skills because those more technical skills in the entertainment industry can pay pretty well. And that can help you sort of stay within the entertainment world. That's what you want to do while also supporting other things that you want to do in entertainment, whether it's acting or writing or directing things like that. If that answers your question. No, it definitely does. And I'm wondering before you made the move to New York, you said you went to New York after you were in Connecticut, correct? Yes. So when you were in Connecticut and when you were um, in college at Yale at a TWI and just being a woman colorist, how was it navigating that time in your life? And what has your journey been like since then as a colorist in the film industry? Sure. So in terms of navigating like Yale University in the very beginnings of my career, I was still figuring things out because at that time, I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do in the entertainment industry. I, like many other people who are in film studies, they want to be a director or writer-director. And I didn't really think about the other things that you could do until... I had to start taking steps to do those things for my film. So I didn't really think about editing and color grading until I had to do it 
for my student films. I didn't really think about the fact that you could be paid to do that. And that could be a, a career until I got my campus job making videos explaining the different places where you could get equipment on campus and how to use that equipment and things like that. So in the beginning, yes, I was still figuring things out. And unfortunately, because the way that those classes were structured within the film studies department, I believe it's called film and media studies now, although there was a production track that I did and I learned about filmmaking, I didn't really learn the ins and outs of the technical parts of filmmaking. So I really didn't have the direct access to role models who looked like me I and could show me that, hey, this is something that you can do. It was something that I kind of had to just figure out because I wanted to stay in this industry, but I also wanted to get my bills paid. And I didn't really want to work outside of film. I, I tried doing that and applying to other jobs and it, it just didn't really, really work out and I didn't feel 100% comfortable. So at that point, I understood that I really didn't see other like black female colorists and maybe like there are of course like some like black female editors, but not really a lot. And so it was really just a matter of kind of just like diving into the film industry and getting the jobs that I could based off of some of the connections that I've made and just figuring it out uh, through people that were willing to, to help me. So that was sort of the, the Connecticut part of it. And then moving to New York really did open up my horizons because there was just more entertainment jobs in New York compared to when I was living in um, New Haven, Connecticut. And so again, I was obviously not seeing other like black female colorists, but I did encounter colorists who were willing to, you know, while I was helping them on the job, being willing to sort of take me under their wing and show me how to do color and how it works and how it can really transform a film and really bring the best out of it. So those were two, those were kind of the ways I was navigating it, just sort of, just sort of doing it and being able to encounter some people who wanted to help me out. And also, of course, just continuing to being able to connect with people virtually and in person, because in New York, the network is just larger. And that definitely helped me, if that answers your question. Yeah. So obviously, in just hearing you speak, there is a deficit of women um, who are colorists, especially Black females, why do you feel that is? One of the things that I realize is that with color grading, it's a, it's a niche field and it's a very technical field. And in order to really get to the next level, you do have to invest in like sometimes some sort of expensive equipment so there's certain things to think about in terms of cost uh if we're thinking about how much you know in general like how much black people more specifically black women might be earning in the film industry and thinking about sometimes there might be a bit of um sort of an unfortunate sort of like gate that might be keeping out like black female colors in terms of investing in 
certain equipment, especially because, like I said, it can be pricey. But of course, there's also the question of, are these places, uh, in terms of these different facilities, are they, do they feel like welcoming places for people like me? I've been pretty lucky in terms of, it has been, obviously not perfect, but it has been. And places where, you know, obviously I've encountered toxic people, especially earlier in my career, I've been able to to take what I can from those jobs and just continue to grow. But again, uh, toxic individuals, toxic workplaces, especially with people who have like very hostile racial ideas about Black women can, of course, also negatively impact you know, Black women who want to enter these fields, but they feel perhaps, oh, I can't really get along with these people. They don't respect me. Or this is kind of not, uh, or maybe the equipment is like a, just a bit too expensive. And so I can't quite get into this field. And those would be some of the things that I would say. I, I would say though, that they're, that really due to at least what I, I'm seeing on the surface level, more of a push from companies to address those kind of issues in terms of caring more about diversity and inclusion, more programs to get people in into the the doors of these like different companies who may not have access to these companies before getting them in and teaching them about post-production i i am seeing obviously more and more of those changes i would like to see where these changes sort of go in the next couple of years but um yes i, I would say the, those are some of the obstacles and there of course are are solutions as well so speaking of solutions, how have you been creating space for others to be educated about the disparities of women, particularly Black women who are film colorists? I know it, it when we spoke, it seemed to be something that you are quite passionate about. I know that you're a part of different um, film organizations for women, especially, you know, Black women. So I want to know from you, what are some of the uh, things that you're currently doing to help bring light to the disparity that exists, yes, but also the education of those who do want to enter into the industry as a colorist, but they don't necessarily feel welcome, like you mentioned, or they may not have access to uh, the resources. Right. So in terms of what I'm trying to do, I, I sort of see myself as a small piece in a larger movement to make post-production more accessible and more like obviously more friendly to a larger group of people but in terms of the little things that I do as of now especially since I am totally freelance and I have taken it upon myself to learn even more about my craft and just continuing to build relationships with other colorists I am making an effort to reach out to more and more people in higher education uh, specifically lecturers and professors, different universities, in order to provide, you know, uh, color grading workshops. I, I gave my first color grading workshop at the Yonkers Film Festival, I believe a, a year ago. And then after that, I have had professors reach out to me and ask if I can give workshops about color grading, both as a, a way to just learn more about the the art of it and also just letting people know, hey, this is a, a viable career path and 
also you can work within this industry if you know you're, you're uh, you know a black woman or a part of any other marginalized group so that's been something that i am doing like even before you know someone is applying to a company the step before that within colleges and universities exposing you know young adults to this career path and also to the opportunities that are there for them to enter this career path, I found to be useful. And it's something that I, I'm i really pushing because it's something that I wish that I could have seen when I was in university. So that's something that I am doing right now. I think that's so awesome. And you have your own company, Bowman Pictures. Uh, what type of services does Bowman Pictures um, provide? I'm sure, of course, uh, color grading is is one of those services, but just curious as to um, just the services overall that your company provides. Sure. So in terms of Bowman Pictures, as of now, it really is focusing on color grading for different projects, music videos, branded content, documentaries, and short narrative films. And I've been able to work with different brands like Facebook and Nike, Foot Locker. And also it is a company through which I produce my own films. I have been able to produce so far two through my company. One, Saturday Grace, which came out in I like 2019 and won some awards. And as of now, my latest film on the film festival circuit, Under the Sun After the Wind, is another film that I've been able to produce. That one was actually shot in 2021 during the pandemic. And it was definitely a I would say that I, I had a really talented cast and crew to be able to sort of navigate filming a COVID safe movie during like during the shutdown. So I would say those are the two services that I am mainly offering. So not just producing my own films, but I'm also, of course, looking to produce and film other shorts as well. And of course, build my way up to feature length movie making. And I did used to offer editing services before. I do on a very select basis, but I'm pulling back so that I can focus more on color grading and filmmaking. That is awesome that you're not only, you know, going around to different colleges and, and film festivals and providing workshops on color grading, but you're also providing the service yourself. So let's talk rewards, setbacks, and milestones as a creative. Creative. I know you mentioned um, some awards that your company has received. Can you talk a little bit about that? What has been some of your most rewarding moments being in this industry? And also, were there any setbacks or was there any moment that was pivotal to sort of pushing you to that next level in your career? I would begin with talking directly about awards. In terms of awards, my short film Saturday Grace from 2019, it won an award for best cinematography and best editing, and also an award for uh, women filmmakers short film at uh, the Big Apple Film Festival. 
And it was really seeing that kind of recognition, and even at, at that time of my career, that I felt that that push to continue to move forward as a, a filmmaker because I did write and direct it, but also as a colorist because I also color graded that film Saturday Grace. And it did win obviously some recognition from film festivals around the United States. But if we're going beyond specific awards, I would say that once I really focused on my own company and not trying to stretch myself too thinly by working for other companies at the same time, which there wasn't anything totally wrong with that. That was what I had to do at the time in order to learn and grow and to build up capital. But once I've been able to sort of focus on my own self, my own company, I felt like that was a bit of a milestone to myself so that I could think, hey, I, I'm finally at this point where I can figure out this freelance game by myself and obviously with other people who are also in the freelance game and test out these waters and seeing what works, what doesn't, and just continuing to just to explore this kind of freedom that I can have, where obviously there are risks in terms of being a freelancer. You don't have as much support as you would at a full-time job, uh, but there's also the the benefits of just being able to plan things out for yourself, to take on the projects that you want, and to really work with people that are telling stories that you truly care about. And when I've been able to just focus on that, I felt like that was a, a major milestone. And then after that, I've been able to just build up my portfolio more and being able to work with these these larger clients that I mentioned before at branded content for, for Nike or for Facebook and being able to work on feature-length documentaries. Those have been major milestones. But in terms of setbacks, I, I would have to rewind a little bit to, I believe, 2020 when COVID-19 first broke out, right? And everyone was panicking. We didn't really know what to do. And at that time, I, like many other people, had job insecurity. I was put on furlough from my full-time job while they were figuring out what to do. And at that moment, I you know, people really weren't filming for very obvious reasons. And so really at that point, it was a low point. I was thinking to myself, what should I do? I have invested so much time and effort into post-production and being a filmmaker. And right now, I don't even know if I if I should stay in this particular career field because it, seem, it seems so volatile and unstable. And I'm unemployed basically, but I, I was able to, even in that moment, I, I was able to just one, I, I had some savings and also I just continued to just, I basically had to lock myself in my room and just write a script just to take my mind off of things, which has led to the film that is on the festival circuit right now under the sun after the wind which is pretty much my film about what I was experiencing during that lockdown, the isolation, seeing news about COVID-19 and police brutality, but also seeing people 
come together and unite against injustice and fight for a better world. So yes, that was probably a setback, obviously, but from that did come another film, another way to express myself and just another opportunity to really dive into watching tutorials, connecting with more people who were in the same boat that I was in and continuing to grow even at that dark moment. Where can people check out um, some of those films that you mentioned? Right. So Saturday Grace is on my website, BowmanPicturesLLC.com, because it's no longer in the film festival circuit, so it's totally fine for me to put it online. As for Under the Sun After the Wind, that film, because it's on the film festival circuit, it's not fully available online. There is a trailer and there is also a behind the scenes video that I talk on about the film and sort of what it means. And that's also my website, bowmanpicturesloc.com. Awesome. So questions for you. Who are some film colorists that you are currently uh, inspired by whose work you just absolutely love? Yeah, there, there's so many. I, I mean, I sort of still follow the the colorists that were in some of the companies that I worked for. So like the people that are like at Harbor Picture Company or at Company 3. I, I didn't work at Company 3, but I, I do follow their work. Also some people at the mill. Um, one person that, I, that I've i sort of, two people actually, two colorists that I've been able to connect with that I, I've been following uh, and I've even been able to talk with them about, you know, the, the craft of being a colorist and like the challenges and things like that. Uh, one person would be um, Anastasia Shepard. I, I follow her and I really do like her work. And she's been pretty accessible in terms of just answering questions that I have. And then another person that I have been following and like their work, his name is Jeffrey Chance. And he has also been able to pretty much talk with me as, you know, another like black person working in this field, being able to sort of talk through some of the challenges of color grading and navigating the space and learning how just to really not only survive, but thrive. Uh, being able to talk with both of them directly has been very helpful. And of course, there are many other colorists that I, I follow, but though, but it's, those two that I've been able to uh, luckily talk with. And as far as as far as films, what has because I know you're also a writer, you know, director yourself as well as color grading. You do it all, <laughs> um, and editing. But what have been some of your uh, favorite films and why? Yes, um, in terms of favorite films, there are so many. And I feel like it's a, a rotating list, depending on how I feel, what I'm looking for. But right now, I i mean, if I can say a couple of my favorite films, one would be probably Malcolm X, just in terms of Spike Lee as the director being able to show what you can do in a biopic, making it a very challenging, exciting genre of filmmaking and not just a dry by the facts straightforward storytelling his style in telling the story of you know obviously someone who is considered controversial by some people uh 
his approach to filmmaking with that particular movie has always stuck with me. And I, that's probably why I've seen it multiple times. And then as a total 180, I also have been a really big fan of Lawrence of Arabia, just as a film that's not only an epic that takes place, you know, obviously in the desert during World War One, but it's also about one particular man, this this British guy who has delusions of grandeur and he is trying to help, you know, this group of people, these Arabs fight against the Turks in the desert during World War One, but he also he's kind of out of his mind and kind of terrible. So it's a complex character study and being able to combine that with just beautiful cinematography is something that very few films have been able to pull off. And that's always been an inspiration to me. So I would go with those two as of now. And such great choices. Well, I'm so excited that we got the chance to speak to you today and learn more about Bowman Pictures, as well as the films that you have um, on the circuit, as well as um, on your website, which people can check out. Could you let them know where they can follow you everywhere? I know you shared your website, but also on um, social media. Sure. So yes, you can, again, you can go to bowmanpicturesloc.com and that will have links to my social media, but I, I will also say on social media specifically where you can find me on Facebook. You can find me at Bowman Pictures LLC. That's one word. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Bowman underscore pictures and the same for Instagram Bowman underscore pictures. If you are also on LinkedIn, I, you won't be able to find me under that company name, but you can find me under Patrice D. Bowman. So Bowman Pictures, LLC. Awesome. Patrice, it was such a pleasure speaking with you today. And I'm uh, so excited to even begin my work in connecting with more and hiring more uh, women who are uh, colorists within the filmmaking industry, as well as editors, because they're so far and few in between. And so I'm so grateful that our past connected. Yes, I am so glad that I was able to pretty much find your your post about your podcast on Facebook, listen to your podcast. And then now I have this opportunity to tell people more about this career path. And yes, Black women are in it. So thank you for tuning into this episode of the State of Film Art podcast. You can catch new episodes bi-weekly on Thursdays and make sure that you connect with us by following us on Instagram at SoFilmArt. And you can also visit our website and listen to past episodes at SoFilmArt.com.